No, no, no. She's not a medical doctor, but she can sure cure your tax problems or your financial woes. She's the how-to girl. It's the Dr. Friday Show. If you have a question for Dr. Friday, call her now, 737-WWTN. That's 737-9986. So here's your host, financial counselor and tax consultant, Dr. Friday. Live from America's Music City, ladies and gentlemen, it may be Saturday where you are, but it's Friday all day, every day, all the time with the tax doctor, the tax lady, the doctor of accounting. We know her in these parts of America as the Dr. Friday, and right here she is live. Hey, Dr. Friday. Hey, John. Thanks for sitting in. I appreciate it. We always have a lot of fun here, just telling the truth and helping folks get out of trouble. And anytime you can do that, that's a good thing. Or to stay out of trouble, right? That's a good thing, too. I like Absolutely. stay out of trouble. Stay out of trouble is, is, is always a good thing. So we always like to open the show with any breaking news from Washington other than the impeachment thing and the this and the that and all this other stuff that has to do with tax accounting in any way, or has that all been <laughs> shoved to the back for now? Well, there has been a couple things. There is, um, we also have um, Federal Department of Labor has come down with some new tax laws. With, if you're an entrepreneur, um, you know, we have to comply with state and federal uh, laws. And it's a, it's, it's a small group, but for me, many of my clients have employees that are on salary. And there is a minimum that you have to pay, and there's certain criteria that they have now settled saying that if you have a person that you don't want to worry about overtime, that they have to basically make it. Right now, the law up until December 31st is 400 and. I believe it's $75. They can be, uh, as long as they're a supervisor, that they, they have control over two or more employees. They can hire or fire. There are some rules that you can not have to worry about tracking overtime on everyday situations. Well, they've just changed the law that that same employee now has to be $684 as of January 1st. So that's a big jump um, for people that were making less than 500 now making 684 So it's almost a $200 jump. Uh, per week. So that's going to be a big change for small business owners. They have not passed the minimum wage increase yet, but that is still very strong on the table. All right, folks. So get ready for that. It's nice to have that advance warning because if you have been uh, at an employee making that lesser amount, now you'll have to pay them overtime, right, Dr. Friday? I mean, that's the way right. it goes. If you decide you don't want to do the salary any longer, you will have to start making sure they clock in, clock out, track their hours, um, and, uh, you know, which is one of the reasons we like the idea of salary for individuals sometimes, especially for supervisors, um, because sometimes they'll work 38-week hours. Next week they may work 42, you know, and there's some flexibility in there um, on the right type of person. But um, this is a big jump, and many of them are become hourly employees um, unless unless the employer is ready for that big jump. There you go, folks. You're listening to the Doctor Friday Show. We are live from Nashville, and that means when you hear that word "live," that means you can jump on the phone right now, get all the tax advice you could possibly want. Doctor Friday would always tell you why give your money away to the IRS or make a mistake that might take you a couple of years to get it back. Why not get it right? the first time and done correctly the first time. So if you've got a question, no matter what it is, maybe it's child support or maybe it's something that, you know, you haven't paid taxes in the last five or 10 years or let's say filed and you're thinking, oh boy, you know, if I, if I come out of the woodwork now, they're surely going to put me in jail. But anyway, whatever question it is, there are no dumb questions when it comes to your taxes. So the numbers to call right now, 737-9986. 
737-WWTN, 737-9986. And by the way, if you have never been to the Dr. Friday website, drfriday.com, right now she has tax tips that are posted there and actually runs tax tips, one-minute quick advice that you hear weekdays on this station. But if you don't get a chance and you're too busy, you can also go on the website And we're going to hit some of those questions today, some of the most common ones that folks ask, and you can get all the answers there as well. Once again, the phone numbers to call. Now's the time to jump on the phones. We always find they get very busy because, you know, tax questions are sometimes not all that simple. You can't just answer them in 15 seconds or so. So get on the phone, 737-WWTN, 737-9986. We didn't get to this one, though, the other other week, Dr. Friday, and this one can be something that... uh, folks want to know about, you know, someone that's in the unfortunate situation of a divorce, in the middle of a divorce, and there are IRAs, Uh, you know, IRAs, anytime you're cashing those in or doing whatever, there are some tax consequences. Are there some uh, tips or, you know, some quick advice that you would give on handling IRAs in a divorce? Absolutely. First thing I would do sure that um, if there's a choice between a Roth IRA or what we refer to as a standard IRA, a standard IRA, we defer the taxes and we don't have to pay the taxes till we take the money out. A Roth IRA, taxes have already been paid. So if there's a choice, whoever keeps that is going to have tax-free money. So make sure whoever is your attorney that they're looking at the entire package. Second thing, if you get a settlement from your uh, spouse, be it him or her, um, the the IRA is taxable money. Now, if you get it through a divorce, there is sometimes no penalty. There is a, a possibility of not um, if you buy a first-time home for $10,000, little things like that. But if you decide, you know what, I'm going to take the 100000 my husband gave me, and I'm going to go buy a house, had this happen, um, and I'm going to go pay cash for the house and not pay tax on the $100,000, good old Uncle Sam's would come back and put a nice little lien against that home that you had tax-free. So just keep in mind that if that money is sent to you, you must pay taxes on it. So don't just go and invest it because you're thinking, well, I need money to get on my feet. I'm having to reestablish myself. I've got children I have to. doesn't make a difference. The IRS still says that is taxable money. So when you're making that settlement, make sure your attorney is looking at what is going to be something you can live off of now and how much you have. It's very important. I have probably three cases I can think of in the last year that came in that situation where they took their their retirement that the husband had paid out of the settlement, and they're all in IRS issues at this point. There you go, folks. The advice is here. Now's the time to get it. Listen to the radio or call 737-WWTN, 737-9986. We're only here until 3. That means T-minus 51 minutes to go. Don't put it off. Get on the phones now. So let's go and bring Dave onto the Dr. Friday show. Dave, you're speaking with Dr. Friday. Yes, hello. I uh, have lived out of state for a long time. I retired in California to get a small pension. I'm back in Tennessee working full-time. How do I inform the IRS I'm now a resident of Tennessee? As long as you have lived here six months and one day and you file your taxes, um, you'll file it as a full year, then you will have that. If you did live in California, though, for any less than 30 days during that time period, you will still pay a state income tax. They don't abide by the federal law. So just keep in mind, you have to live here pretty much the full year or at least 11 months not to pay a state income tax to California. 
But the Fed, as soon as you file your taxes, your your address would be updated. You can also file an address update with the IRS if you wanted to do it sooner than filing your tax return. Okay, so I was I was paying a state tax on a um, pension from California. Theoretically, yes, California doesn't have an exclusion for pension like some states. So if, if the income is high enough, I don't know how much it is, but since it's California, Very and their Very cost of living is okay. a little different. Um, it it could become taxable. Yes. All right. Thank you. No problem. Appreciate your phone call. Here's another question that folks ask about. And looking at the show notes here, Dr. Friday says the IRS's simplified per diems for lodging meals and incidentals are going up. What does that mean exactly? So the IRS, if you go to irs.gov and you want to see what the per diem is for a Pacific city, or if you're an over-the-road truck driver and you're self-employed, now keep in mind, they simplified it in one way by not allowing employees to take per diem. The other way they did it was that they've actually put out a new set of per diem numbers on the IRS website. So if your boss or your company provides you a per diem per city when you travel and they reimburse for it, that's where you can find how much those rates are. But employees on W-2s can no longer, for at least the next five years, take per diem on their tax return or the 2106. Only the self-employed can still comply with that. So does that mean the employees are losing out on something? Absolutely. They are losing. Yeah. Well, I mean, many employers allowed the employees to take it off on their tax return, and that was the benefit for doing it. They did not have a reimbursement plan set up at work. Unless your employer sets up a reimbursement plan and they reimburse you for the per diem and then that has to show up on your W-2, et cetera, et cetera, it is not a legitimate deduction any longer. Wow. So they've lost that deduction. That could be worth mm-hmm. um, a couple of hundred dollars. $30,000, $40,000. I've got wow. truck drivers that live on the road. Yep. Wow. Wow. All right. Back to the phone lines we go. Let's bring Penny onto the Dr. Friday show. Hi, Penny. Hi. Hi. I have a question. My mother-in-law passed away two years ago. My husband is the executor of her her estate. Mm-hmm. There is about $30,000 sitting in a checking account that we have not been able to disperse to the family uh, because we the IRS has sent a letter saying that she failed to sign her 2015 tax return. Mm-hmm. And we have sent all the documentation because she is is deceased. Okay. But we have waited for over a year and a half to hear something. And my question is, what happens if he goes ahead and distributes this money, and then the IRS comes back and says, "Well, you owe something," or she owed something? Will they come after the executor, the or what happens? Yes. Yes, the executor has the responsibility. He cannot distribute that money uh, knowing at this point he has knowledge that there could be, doesn't know if she owes money, but there could be an IRS issue. He needs to make an appointment to either go downtown Nashville if you live in this area, if you live somewhere else, Memphis, whatever. Um, go ahead and make an appointment with the tax advocate's office. He needs to bring his documents and he needs to find out if they'll open a case for him. They can get in there and, and handle and close that faster than anyone. So he needs to get a tax advocate, and you can Google it or call my office on Monday. I'd be more than glad to give him the phone number, um, depending on where he's at, and go ahead and, and start the paperwork. It's called a 911 form. 
and he needs to file one of those to get them involved because they can help him resolve that. Okay, she had an accountant. Can he do that? No, probably not because the power of attorney probably expired at the time of her passing. Your husband has the executorship of the estate now. Okay. All right. Thank you. No problem. All right. Thanks, Penny. Folks, you're listening to the Dr. Friday Show. We're live from Nashville. By the way, if you are ever outside the listening area of this radio station, if you have that smartphone and you download the iHeart app and search WWTN, you can listen to any program on this radio station, the Dr. Friday program here, or anybody else 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, we do this T-minus because we want you to realize an hour goes by very, very quickly. So I'm going to tell you, T-minus 44 minutes. Now's the time to get the tax advice right now, but you got to call this number, 737-WWTN-737-9986. John Haggard in the studio, Dr. Friday, on the telephone with all the tax answers and advice for you and your phone calls, all next here on Super Talk 99.7 WTN. Welcome back, everybody. It's segment number two, the Dr. Friday Show, live from America's Music City. John Haggard in the studio, but Dr. Friday right here on the telephone, giving you the answers to all of your tax questions. That number to call if you're new to Nashville or new to the area, here it is, 737-WWTN, 737-9986. Now is the time to call. So back to the phone lines we go. Let's bring Ed onto the Dr. Friday Show. Hi, Ed. Hi, how are we doing? Great. How are you? Hello. What can I do for you, Ed? Oh, okay. Uh, I work for a uh, metropolitan government and I retired in like 2010. And uh, they called me back to work part time for about five and a half years. And I just recently uh, retired again. And uh, my question is I went to the Social Security office and asked them if they could update my Social Security. And they told me that that they automatically checked it every couple of years, and and then they would automatically update it uh, at some point in time. And I was just this sounds terrible. I was wondering if you had any opinion on it or knew about it. No, and that's pretty much the truth. They will periodically recheck it to see if you have any additional income, but the likeliness is it will have a minor effect because I doubt you were making as much money when you went back to work part-time than what you may have already made in the prior 10 years that they took the highest 10 years of your, your collective life, right? 40 quarters, 10 years. So it may not have made a difference because just because you work doesn't mean you've increased your social security. They take the highest 10 years that you've earned money. And this may have been it, but I'm just assuming that since they wanted you back part-time, it probably wasn't going to be your highest part of 10 years. Okay. Does well, yeah. actually, I, when I went back, I went into a different category, and they charged income tax and everything on my Social Security. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, uh, no matter what, if you're in, if you're collecting Social Security and you're 85 years old and you decide to go to, I mean, I'm not saying yourself, but if you go to work and you're even if you're collecting, they will always make you still pay in to Social Security and federal withholding. That does not change. But I'm just saying it may not increase any of your Social Security benefits when you go collect them or if you're on them. I'm just that's all I meant is that it, it may not have been enough to offset your already collectible amount because they, they base your Social Security on your highest 10 years of your working life. 
Okay. Well, so, I sure appreciate okay. it. Thank you. No worries, mate. Thanks. All right, I appreciate the phone call. T-minus 37 minutes as we count it down. Now's the time to get on the phones, get the answers to your tax questions. 737-WWTN, 737-9986. Dr. Friday here with the answers. Back to the show notes, Dr. Friday. One of the almost surefire ways to get the IRS to look at you. Now we're going to pull that return and take a closer look, folks. Listen to this. The service continues to eye returns that report large real estate losses. Can you tell us about that, Dr. Friday? Well, um, the fact is right now we're in a pretty good market area. So um, when people say that they've taken a large loss on real estate, in some cases, not every case, I have people that lose money, but in some cases they've either sold the real estate to a family member so in that case, it disallows losses because they say you're selling it at a loss for the purpose of giving them an advantage, um, or you um, can't justify the loss. So it just, it's just one of those things. It's kind of like if you are a Schedule C filer, um, miles can be a big trigger for an audit. Um, I have found that the IRS does do some matching based on your profession, but real estate professionals, for example... Um, often the ones that get audited, the first thing the IRS asks them to prove is their miles. So, you know, if you're keeping a miles log and, and you're able to justify it, it's no big deal. But if you've kind of guessed and said, oh, you know what, I think I'll just say 38000 I've always kept it around that number, nothing changed, then you're probably in trouble at some point because you probably wouldn't have no idea how to back into 38,000 miles in a year. Simple enough. So keep good records. Would you recommend, exactly. you know, there's these apps out there. That mm-hmm. I guess you can press go and stop and it'll record your mileage for you. Yes, I um, I actually uh, suggest with my clients mileage IQ. I'm not a, I'm not a advocate one way or the other. It's one I use. It does work. It's pretty simple. Whenever I'm on a business trip, I can market business. Otherwise, I just put personal on everything. I don't do a ton of miles nowadays, but, um, but that would be something that uh, especially real estate professionals, people that are really taking miles because you're using your personal car and anyone that says that they use 100% of their personal vehicle for uh, for business is already, I can already tell you it's a fib. There's, you had to go to the grocery store. You had to go out to dinner sometime for personal reasons. You went to the movies, you brought clothes. So there are personal miles no matter what. And then you've got to be very careful as an entrepreneur, even though you are your own business, some of your miles may be considered by the IRS as commuting miles. So if you are, I've covered this many times on my show, but again, if you are a person that um, your boss expects you to be at a certain location, my, for example, my office is in Brentwood. Even though I have a home office, my office where I see clients is in Brentwood. So when I leave my house and go to Brentwood, that is not a deductible miles, even though I have a home office. It is commuting because my uh, my business hours start seeing clients when I'm in my office. So if I leave my office, go to the bank, that would be a business deduction, but not to see my clients. All right, back to the phone lines we go. Let's bring Ron on to the Dr. Friday Show. Hi, Ron. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. My question is, my wife died in February. Do I still claim her as a dependent on my income tax? She did collect two Social Security checks. Sorry about your loss. And the answer would be yes. You are married in the, in the tax law until the last day of the year, so you would still file as married for 2019 tax. Yes, sir. 
Okay, that's all I needed. Thank you. No problem. And back to the phone lines again. We go to, let's see, let's bring Frankie on. Frankie, you're on the air with Dr. Friday. Francis, this is me. Dr. Friday, can you tell me how much taxes I will have to pay? I'm 86 years old. I draw $1,725 a month retirement. And 2025 Social Social Security. I have nothing coming out, no taxes. I have no deductions, nothing. What will my taxes be? Now let's see here. That looks like you're going to be somewhere. So you said seventeen twenty-five uh, in uh, pension, right? Seven, seventeen eighteen. Seventeen eighteen. Sorry, close. Okay. So that's about twenty thousand, and then you and your social security. So, are you single or married? I'm single, eighty six years old. Yeah. So you're gonna basically have thirteen. So it's gonna say you are gonna owe taxes. You're gonna be in the twelve percent tax bracket. I would say it's probably going to be somewhere around twelve to fifteen hundred dollars if I was ballparking it. But you you will have some taxes due with that combination. Well, that sounds great because I've been paying five and six thousand. I just I worked until last year. Oh, oh, okay, okay. So, Mike, not on that income you haven't, but yes, your other your additional income probably made all the, everything else taxable. But you won't have to pay a hundred percent tax. Probably, well, eighty five percent of your Social Security can become taxable, and if you were drawing it and working, it was putting you in a higher tax bracket. Now that you're living off your pension. And your Social Security, you'll find that your taxes have come way down. Thank you so much. You are no a problem. sweetheart. Thank you. Thanks, Frankie. Okay, bye-bye. 227 right now, Dr. Friday all the time, Super Talk 99.7 WTN. Let's bring Robert onto the Dr. Friday show. Hi, Robert. Hey, um, Dr. Friday, I've got a really quick question. Um, we own a business. i got a friend of mine and, and I. We own a, a lawn care company. We've been doing it for five years, but we've been doing our taxes ourselves, and um, obviously we, you know, we pay every year. But mm-hmm. I, I made the suggestion to, to my business partner to to get a an accountant or a tax uh, professional and go through a company. And then I didn't know if when they charge us because they obviously will for working, but sure. are they going to be able to take their services as a deduction that year or the next year? Next year, the year in which you paid them. And since we don't do the taxes till the following year of any given time, it would be for the next year because you didn't pay oh, them okay. for that year. Okay. Would you suggest actually doing that, going with a tax accountant? Well, I think, let me put it this way. I think every business owner, in my opinion, you can't be an expert at everything. And taxes and business is something that really does require someone that at least knows what's your, your industry, what can you be taking, if nothing else, get a second opinion. Have someone review your taxes. Find out if there has been anything that's been left on the table. Get the, the confidence that, hey, you know what? We've been doing fine. We're very basic. We don't take a lot of, you know, we're straightforward, blah, blah, blah. Maybe there isn't. But if you have left something on the table, you'd really want to know that. So my suggestion would be bring the last two or three years into a tax person, one that does. I know our firm does it, but there's other ones probably in your area. But Get someone to get a second opinion. Find out if you're doing a good job. And if you are awesome, then you wouldn't have to change. But if there's something you're missing, you want to know that now, not 10 years later when you can't make a change or get any money back. You can only go back three years to get refunds. Right. Okay. Thank you. No worries. 
All right, folks, you're listening to the Dr. Friday Show. We're live from Nashville. John Haggard in the studio, but you recognize Dr. Friday there with all the advice. And before we go to break, Dr. Friday, we always like to, uh, at least I do, brag on you because I know you won't brag on yourself, but I'm going to. And so I wanted to just talk to very quickly, there may be somebody out there that owes, you know, maybe like $500,000 or maybe they owe a million dollars or could owe just, you know, $24,000 or whatever, but you have had it. A number of clients, one owed a million dollars, and you got that settled for somewhere about a hundred thousand. And we say that if it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. But you've also had situations where somebody might have owed twenty thousand and wound up paying twelve hundred. So I guess the question is, this time of the year you hear these radio and T V commercials about all these people are gonna, you know, We'll represent you for the IRS. We're going to get your money, and, you know, you're not going to have to pay anything or pay very little. How do you do it? Is Are there tricks? or like, what, what is it? How do you take a guy that owes a million down to about 100000 So in his case, it was that he had filed all of his tax returns. The IRS had went ahead and done assessments. So the first thing we had to do was get him into compliance. Then we had to get him paying quarterly so that the IRS knew that this guy was back on track. And then we were able to make a negotiation with him based on the fact that he didn't have a ton of assets. Still end up with a nice size bill, but based on assets and explaining. So it really depends. And I, I mean, yes, there are a lot of people out there that will turn around and say straight out, oh, we can help you. Start paying us $500 a month. Give us $2,500 down or $5,000 down. And over the next eight months, we're going to help you. They don't even know what they need to help you to do. Nine times out of ten, they've already given you that number before they've pulled your transcripts, told you if you have any compliance, even got you to fill out a financial statement to know if there's even a possibility that the IRS can actually get the money from you. So be careful when you go to these places. It sounds so nice, and they're pretty good at delaying and stalling, but that may also cost you money. I mean, if you owe the government and there's no way of actually doing anything, if you want to play the game and delay, that's one thing. But if you really want to get resolution, having someone stall for eight months is just going to cost you another 25% of what you owe possibly. So get the right person, get a good opinion, and make sure that they're not just putting you on this generic checkoff list because their job is to sell a product, which is, oh, we do tax resolution. There you have it, folks. There are scammers out there, and you just heard it right there. You're listening to the Dr. Friday Show live from Nashville. John Haggard in the studio with Dr. Friday on the telephone, and it's T-minus 27 minutes to go. The show's half done for today. Now's the time to jump on the phones and get the answers to your tax questions. What's the number? 737-WWTN, 737-9986. Call now. Back after this on Super Talk 99.7-WTN. Now we go to part three of the Dr. Friday show this Saturday, Super Talk 99.7 WTN. Dr. Friday on the phone with all the tax answers for you. And we will count it down for you again, T minus 39 minutes and counting. So call 737-WWTN, 737-9986. What are you going to get? Free tax advice, but you got to call now. Back to the show nuts, Dr. Friday. Um, You know, it's probably surprising, well, not to you, but to some folks maybe, about the deductions that people are entitled to but don't take. And one of the things that uh, we noticed on your website, by the way, folks, if you have not been to the Dr. Friday website, you will see tax tips right there, the actual transcript, the print out of what Dr. Friday says in her 60-second, one-minute 
tax tips that air on this radio station this time of the year during the weeks. But one of them is about claiming your daycare. What are the rules about claiming daycare in terms of being able to actually take a deduction? Or, and are there some parts of that that you can't take a deduction for? Right. First thing you have to have is both husband and wife have to actually be working. So if you're a married couple and maybe mom is just wanting to put baby or daughter or somebody in daycare because they're doing a lot of other good good things or helping out or doing, but if they don't have an actual job or dad, that should say, um, then that's not going to be a tax deduction, even if it's a necessity. So that would be one thing. Then if you're both working, you do need to have someone. So if you have your mom or your grandmother watching the kids, um, you do have to 1099 them. You do have to you know, send documents showing that you did pay them to actually claim that as a deduction. So sometimes, you know, mom will take care of the kids and maybe you reimburse her for her time. There's nothing actually wrong with that. But if you're going to claim it on your tax return, you do have to 1099 mom for that service. So you might want to if that's something beneficial. Last thing is it's very minimal of what you get. So you're allowed to claim up to $5,000, I believe, for the children. And you're going to get, um, I'm sorry, I think it's $2,500 per child. And you get $250 credit on your tax return. So it's a fairly minimal. And if you've got a child in a Montessori or or Goddard schools or whatever and daycare, um, you know, obviously you're going to be spending a lot more than what you're going to get in a tax benefit. All right. Also from the drfriday.com website, if you look up there, you'll see this question. Can I claim a tax deduction for newspaper subscription? Yeah, that's a great question. And if you are an entrepreneur or a business owner, LLC, corporation, and if that newspaper is something that you would need to have, um, I don't know, maybe consider you are, we talk about real estate agents quite often, but you're a real estate agent. Maybe you have to have that newspaper so you can see either listings or something that is going to turn around and either generate sales income or give you a benefit somehow through your business, then it would be a legitimate tax deduction, all dues and subscriptions. But if you are, I don't know, if you're a nurse and you're buying the Wall Street Journal because you want to stay informed, well, that would not be a tax deduction. All right, got it. You know, in this time of the year, a lot of people are thinking about charitable contributions, and there are limits on that and and have been, and sometimes they're raised or lowered or whatever. So what is, what's the current tax law about that, at least for this year, that we're going to be filing for, for charitable contributions? So you can take up to 60% of your taxable income. So, again, if you have $100,000 income, um, taxable income, and uh, you give $60,000 to your church, it would all be deductible. Now, here's something that's kind of cool. Maybe for some reason you had a large charitable deduction because maybe you had some stock or something else that was appreciated and you decided to donate it to your church because that way you didn't have to pay capital gains on it. So you ended up with this very large contribution, but maybe your income isn't there. I had a gentleman that had similar to that, and he gave a million dollars to his church. Nothing, I mean, you know, this is, this is what he wanted to do, and every year we just nickel it down, and he's got up to 20 years to use it, which he will at his income, but it is something that will roll over. So if it happens in one year, you can't use all of it in one year. You're not going to lose it. 
So just keep in mind. But the other side of that is if you're a married couple under the age of 65, you have to itemize before charitable contributions come in, which is 24400 or if you're a single person, 12200 in 2019. So you may not be able to take your itemization if that is something that, um, you know, your charitable contributions because standard deduction is higher than your itemizing. All right, folks, get all the tax advice, anything you need to know, Dr. Friday. By the way, if you'd like her phone number to reach out to her, it's 615-367-0819. And the website, drfriday.com. Lots of great information there. And if you want to email Dr. Friday, it's friday at drfriday.com. Now, one of the things you might have heard about Dr. Friday, and we want to put the uh, – the perception to rest because some people say, well, why would I want to call her if she's an enrolled agent with the Internal Revenue Service? And when you hear that phrase, enrolled agent with the Internal Revenue Service, you would think she works for the Internal Revenue Service, but no, she really doesn't. (laughs) It's just one of those kinds of phrases that makes you wonder. So, Dr. Friday, if you would, uh, you know, our perception an enrolled agent with the Internal Revenue Service, if I put it in plain language for folks like me, It's basically that if you do have a problem with the IRS and they've been bugging you with, as Dr. Friday says, those precious love letters, uh, the (laughs) idea being that you can have a person represent you, that being Dr. Friday, much like you would have a person representing you like an attorney in a court of law. And she can do all the speaking on your behalf. She can do all the negotiating on your behalf and get all that work done for you. And you don't have to deal personally with the IRS. Did I get that exactly right, Dr. Friday? It was spot on, yes. I am. The IRS has tested me and licensed me to represent taxpayers in the situation of if there is an issue or something like that. I can step up and help them because everybody is entitled to representation, kind of like the courts. All right, simple enough. Now, there have been some changes in rules for the unfortunate uh, things that happen when people get divorced. And one of them is, this question comes in, is alimony no mm-hmm. longer a deduction? Or can you still deduct part of it or some of it? Nope. So if you are <laughs> if you divorced after December of 2017, 18, goodness, time flies when we're having fun, 17, I believe. Um, you will, um, you are no longer able to write off your alimony and it's no longer taxable income. Now, this does not affect anybody that was divorced prior to this. So if you have been claiming your alimony, you've been divorced for 10 years, that is still in play. None of this has to do, this has to do with brand new divorces and alimony received during that time. All right. Now there's another number out there that's kind of similar to a social security number. And it's called an ITIN number, which may be expiring this year. What is an ITIN number? So an ITIN number is for individuals that may live in this country, but maybe they were not born here, so they don't have the ability to get a Social Security number. Um, It is normally uh, somebody, maybe they've uh, come in under an uh, educational um, visa or something, and then they wanted to get some work. So it replaces a Social Security number for individuals that are here working but that are not U.S. citizens. Got it. Just as simple as that. Folks, T-minus 15 minutes to go. We are going into the final segment, number four, of the Dr. Friday Show. So if you've been sitting around saying, well, I'll call her in a minute, now's the time to jump on the phone and get that advice at 737-WWTN-737-737. 
888-789-9986. John Haggard in the studio, the Dr. Friday on the telephone with the answers to your questions. All next on Super Talk 99.7 WTN. Rock and roll continues on the Dr. Friday Show. Super Talk 99.7 WTN. John Haggard in the studio here behind the microphone. But Dr. Friday is on the phone with all of the tax answers. So we go into the final nine minutes. If you've got a quick question, now's the time to call. 737-WWTN, 737-9986. And you know this one thing too, Dr. Friday, there have been folks, as you said earlier, it's a hot, hot real estate market here in the Nashville metro area. And can you give us a quick primer on folks who are either enjoying a gain, which hopefully they are, as opposed to a loss from the sale of their primary home? What should we be looking out for tax-wise? Well, that's a great question, because this is always something I get to give a little good news on, which is not always the case in my world. Um, if you have a primary home and you're single, and let's say you've paid 200000 and you're going to sell it for $400,000, that would be, and you've lived in the home two out of five years, that would be a zero tax situation, meaning you would not have to pay tax on the additional uh, capital gains that you received on that home. It doubles if you're married. So if you're a married couple, you would have an exclusion up to $500,000 to be able to use towards, you know, obviously, and it's not one that you have to go and buy another home for this exclusion that one time was on the tax law. That is not the current tax law. So again, if you sell a home and it's $500,000 above your original purchase or 250, if you're single, it is free money to you to do whatever you want. You do not have to reinvest it into real estate. Interesting because for years, the law was you (laughs) had to, right? Yes, the, the law used to be prior to this one was you had two years to repurchase another piece of real estate to keep the exclusion. Um, so you had to go buy more real estate to do it. Now it is your money, it is an exclusion, um, and you're able to do what you want with it. So it's a, a wonderful exclusion um, many people take advantage of. There you go. Back to the phone lines. Let's bring Jerry onto the Dr. Friday Show. Hi, Jerry. Hi. What can I do Hi for there. you, Jerry? I was drawing Social Security and working at the same time, and I've made too much money. What will they do to me? They're going to make you pay back $1 for every $2 you earned over. And for those that aren't sure what Jerry's talking about, if you are under the age of your full retirement, which for many people right now is 66, 66 and a half, something like that, and you go on to Social Security, you can get Social Security, but you're only able to earn like $17,400, and half of that is your Social Security. So if he's earned too much, they will basically turn around and say, you know what, you've earned $5,000 too much, so we're going to charge you $2,500 or one for every $2, um, and you're going to have to write them a check, or they will take it from your Social Security benefits. Okay. What if I stop my Social Security? When will they take the money out? When I start it back, or will they? Does it accrue when you're not drawing it? Nope. What they'll do is turn around and start collecting you as if it was pay as if it was an IRS debt. They will collect through your payroll or through your um, uh, refunds if you have some with the IRS. They'll request you to start a payment plan. 
they'll collect just as if it was the IRS not being paid. Okay. All right. Thank you. No worries, mate. Thanks. All right, back to the phone lines we go. Diane, you're on the air with Dr. Friday. Yes, hi, Dr. Friday. I was uh, calling. If you if you have a rental house and it's completely paid for, and can you borrow against that to purchase another piece of property? Absolutely. Um, the the IRS is basically uh, does. I mean, they prefer the property to be the loan against the other. But the fact is, a lot of people do that. So. Um, as long as you can prove that the money that you borrowed against the first property, it's a rental property anyways, went to the other, because you're going to want to take the interest off of the new property, probably not the old property. That's my opinion. You can do it either way. It's tied to it, so you can do it one way or the other. But bottom line is you want that interest to be tax deductible, which you can, and absolutely you can borrow against one property to purchase another. Um how much of a percentage of the rental property will they loan you? Normally, it's sixty to seventy percent. Okay, what's what's that variance there? What's you know? Well, that, I'm not an expert, and part of it's going to be I don't do real estate uh, mortgages, but I do know I own a couple of pieces of real estate, and they in my case they'll give me seventy percent of the loan to value. But I do have some clients that if they have multiples or or if they, um, you know, depending on the type of rental property it is, mine are usually commercial, um, you know, it, it, they, I have heard people say that they've been able to get 60%, but I've only ever seen 70% of loan-to-value. Loan-to-value. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right, appreciate the phone call. 253, Dr. Friday, all the time. Super Talk 99.7 WTN. And this does happen, Dr. Friday, to some folks. They say, look, you know, I moved and I, you know, sent a letter to the IRS. And, you know, now I've just realized it's about a year and a half or two later. And I'm not, you know, I didn't get that correspondence and so forth. Am I liable for what they're telling me I owe? And the answer, of course, is yes. Of course. The IRS. Yeah, of course. <laughs> the IRS says it is not their job to find you. It is your job to tell them where you're at. So if you move and you do not notify the IRS, and, and there's been court cases on this where the IRS um, may have received a letter from you with a new address, but it wasn't on an address change or on a tax return. Um, form. And so you assumed, well, I wrote a letter to the IRS and told them I changed my address and it was on all my correspondence, but they never updated it. That is still your fault. So you either have to file an address change form. I don't know the number right this second, or you have to file a tax return with the correct address on it. One way or the other is the only way the IRS will take and make that your new address. So it is the taxpayer's responsibility to contact the IRS. It is not the IRS responsibility to find you. You know, you have always said on your show that if you are going to uh, contact the IRS, anything in the mail, always send it certified return receipt, right? Absolutely. So do you run into a situation like this where somebody said, where the IRS says, well, okay, you've got a certified return receipt document here, but what you said, uh, or your receipt rather, from the U.S. Post Office, but what you had in the envelope or whatever is not there, you said it's there, it's not there. How do, how do you um, reconcile that kind of a situation? In nine, I will tell you, 99% of the time, the IRS will, if you can send them a receipt showing it was sent on time, somehow they lost it, 
um, they will normally give you a waiver for penalties for late filing or something like that, or, or an extension if you had to mail the extension in and you have proof that the extension was mailed on time. Then normally they will um, they will give you a consideration um, on on that because you made the attempt and you've got documentation showing the attempt was made. There's no way of you knowing what what ended up on someone's desk and you know they don't try to hold you to that. So that's why I use certified or, or, or registered letters because at least you have a argument or a discussion. So many people just put it in a mail an envelope with a stamp on it. And the fact is, at that point, you've left yourself open because, well, the government does not have to. I mean, they don't know. I mean, right? I mean, how many people come into the office every single day to the Internal Revenue Service and swear they mailed it, they mailed it, they mailed it? You know, there has to be some documentation proving it. Otherwise, they just can't just take your word for it. All right. About one minute to go. Just in case we're confused still, the Obamacare thing in the tax and if you don't this and that. What's the latest on all of that? It is not something we have to worry about for 2019 for individual mandates. Employers still have to comply, but individuals that may not have health insurance in 2019 will find that there is no penalty. That being said, if you are in the marketplace and you still have a 1095A, if the government is still supplementing part of your insurance, that will still need to be provided and still accounted for. By the uh, on your tax return for um, to make sure that you are still reporting the right amount of income for what they're subsidizing for your uh, insurance payments. All right, folks, you heard it. All the tax advice, and you can get a lot more of that tax advice if you like. And I'm going to give you the contact number and information for Doctor Friday, the tax lady, and uh, the website. By the way, if you have not been there valuable resources for you, drfriday.com. You'll see the tax tips there and the transcripts so you can read it for yourself. If you'd like the phone number to Dr. Friday, here it is, 615-367-0819. And the email address for Dr. Friday is friday at drfriday.com. That's friday at drfriday.com. Did you know that 1,000 years from today, you will be alive? And the question is, where will you be alive? Did you know that many people are just 12 inches away from heaven? That's the distance from their head to their heart. They believe in Jesus Christ in their mind, but they have never accepted him in their heart. And that's the big deal right there. The biggest decision you will ever make in your life is where you are going to spend eternity and you get to choose where. That's the good news. If you don't know if you're going to go to heaven, I can help you settle it right now. Just say after me, Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I proclaim you my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. That's it. God willing, we'll see you next week, everybody, on the Dr. Friday Show, Super Talk 99.7 WTN. I'm John Morgan.